Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Using an interview format, Pastor Bob will introduce you to men and women whose ministries are impacting this world with the gospel and will also provide commentary and insight on end-time prophetic events we now see happening in the news. Now here is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. We're so blessed that you're joining us today. Now, Frank King is also known as the mental health comedian. He's a suicide prevention, postvention public speaker and trainer who has turned a lifelong battle with depression into a keynote that is worthy of sharing. We know that suicide is making news today with the number of veterans and first responders. And I invited Frank on here today to talk about this sensitive topic, but in a lighthearted fashion, which he is, you're just going to love Frank King. He's awesome. After writing for The Tonight Show for over 20 years, Frank turned his mission to an effort to end the stigma surrounding mental health by sharing his insights with basically anyone and everyone who would listen. And he openly addresses the topic of suicide, which he's, it's, as you know, it's considered taboo in today's society, although, like I said, there is now an awareness factor that's starting to take shape. So in an effort to start the conversation, Frank uses comedy, not a let's laugh it off type of comedy, but stories from his own past, his own experiences, and he addresses his own trials and tribulations using a tool people from all walks of life can relate to, and that's humor. By using comedy, he lets others know that they're not alone. In fact, that's one reason I was interested in talking with Frank and reached out to him on LinkedIn. Now, if you've been listening to my program for a while, you've heard my story about how I was within hours of ending my own life about 25 years ago. Now, Frank has thoughts about killing himself more times than he can count. And like many of us, depression and suicide runs in the family. And with his TED Talk, A Matter of Life or Death, he openly addresses this topic, and I recommend you view it. He's also a podcaster, co-hosting the Suicide Prevention Punchline podcast. Available at suicidepreventionpunchline.com. Help me welcome to the program, Frank King. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. And ladies and gentlemen, that's our time after that introduction. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> for more videos by Frank King. No, that's, that's right. If you'd like to learn more about Frank. <laughs> Other than that short intro I gave, tell us yeah. in your own words, who's Frank King? Yes. Well, I, um, I started comedy in the fourth grade. Told my first joke, decided at that moment I was going to be a comedian. Of course, I, you know, I mean, in, in fourth grade, you have no idea how you're going to do it. Uh, did the talent show, my senior high school senior talent show. Nobody had ever done stand-up before. Really? Nope, not a soul. Because, you know, it was 1975, and it was sort of the beginning of the big comedy, comedy club boom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. About the, about the time Leno and Letterman and those guys uh, made their way out to Los Angeles. And my mother, I told my mother after I won the contest, I'm going to be a comedian. And she said, no, you're going to college. Um, I don't care what like you do when you're done. Like good mothers do. Yeah, you can be a goat herder when you get done, but you're going to be a goat herder with a college degree. So right. I went to Carolina, got a couple of degrees, and then I, I um, moved to San Diego with my, my uh, high school sweetheart, then my first wife, a uh, big mistake, should never gotten married. We had nothing in common, but you know what they say, opposite to track. She was pregnant. I wasn't. So, yeah, uh, yeah. And we got married. There was a comedy store in town, a branch of the world famous comedy store on sunset. And I went to open mic and that was the beginning of the end of my, I was selling insurance at the time, beginning <laughs> of the end of my, you know about that, Bob, a beginning of the end of my 
my and my insurance career because I got up on stage that first night. What I did was, Bob, I t- and this is what I tell comics or would be comics, want to be comics. Go to the comedy club, go to a couple open mic nights, see how bad 75% of the people are. It'll give you the courage to get up. And I did it. I went twice and I thought, man, I'm funnier than this just walking around. <laughs> Put five minutes together, got up on stage and, and it worked. And in, in, during the set, I remember hearing inside my head, I'm home. And then my second thought was, I'm going to do this for a living. I have no idea how. And here's the only joke I remember from that act, that set. I grew up in North Carolina, as like you, Bob Southerner. And California, you know, in the, in, in the early 80s, was still the country wasn't quite so homogenous in terms of mm-hmm. eating and drinking and other things. And so I'd never seen uh, guacamole. I'd never seen an avocado. So I'm at a cocktail party for somebody and I, I pick up a chip and I'm headed for the dip and there below the dip is below the chip is this bowl of green, whatever. And so my hand stops and I'm hovering and the hostess comes over. Oh, Frank, I know you're from, you're from North Carolina. You've probably never seen that before. It's guacamole and it's good. I said, yeah, I bet it was the first time somebody ate it. <laughs> so that, that was the beginning of my comedy career, the end of my insurance career. Um, and the end of my first marriage, because my, my first wife, you know, she's a wonderful woman. She just, we had completely different goals. Um, she wanted me to be an insurance guy, and mm-hmm. I knew in my heart. Well, and, and one of my TED Talks, my third one, fourth one, um, Suicide, the Secret of My Success. Uh, I didn't realize at the time that I was clinically depressed, nor did I realize that I was um, living with chronic suicidal ideation. What I did realize was, I thought to myself, if I don't pursue comedy, if I don't give up insurance and divorce my wife and pursue comedy, I am going to kill myself sooner rather than later, which is a, a very empowering thought because my next thought was, well, what the heck? I can, I can divorce my wife, quit my job, try stand-up comedy. If it works, great. If it doesn't, well, I can still kill myself. So that's why suicide is the secret of my success. And by the way, Bob, I've got a client now I'm working with on getting a TEDx talk for him who, when he read that about me, He's a guy who wrote uh, from monk to money manager. He was a, mm-hmm. a he was a Trappist monk, I think, for twenty years. He said, when he talked to people about their problems, uh, they would ask him to pray with them, which they did. He did, mm-hmm. but he always he found almost always at the bottom of the problem was a financial issue. So he'd pray with them first mm-hmm. and give them financial advice second. And at some point, he realized if he didn't leave the monastery and get into financial management, which is what he really wanted to do. He was going to kill himself. So he thought, what the heck? I can leave the monastery, try financial management. If it works, great. Here, sound familiar? If it doesn't, mm-hmm. I can still kill myself. Yeah. So there are a number of people out there I've met who have the same basic thinking process. That's how they got to be doing what they're doing today is they realize yeah. if they stayed put, they're done. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I did um, club comedy 2,629 nights in a row nonstop. Wow. Uh, my lovely girlfriend at the time, now my wife, I said to her, as I, this is December of 85, I'm going on the road to be a stand-up comedian. Do you want to come along? And she said, yes. So she came along for the ride. So that's seven years and change with no home, just a post office box and answering service. Hmm. And we worked with, I mean, open for, worked with, lived with Foxworthy and Ron White and Dennis Miller and Ellen DeGeneres, Paul Poundstone, Adam Sandler and Kevin James, back when they were just comics. Mm-hmm. And then middle 90s, I got a job in radio in Raleigh, North Carolina because they were hiring comics to be co-hosts back then. Raleigh's my hometown. So it was, you know, it was kind of a, kind of a good co- homecoming to get a, j- a job on the number one morning show in the city. 
which by the way, I drove to number six in 18 months, one of my proudest accomplishments, <laughs> um, and got fired. And then by then the comedy club thing had busted, boom, had busted. And so I'd always been clean, which cost me in the clubs. Cause you know, tell us some jokes we can dance to. Um, the, I made the jump from the bar room to the boardroom from club comedy to corporate comedy. And you know, ran the rubber chicken circuit until the recession hit, mm-hmm. making, making good money, and then lost everything in a Chapter Seven bankruptcy. Yep. And that's when I came. That's that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Mm. Um, spoiler alert: I didn't pull the trigger. Amen. The uh, yeah, and I get a laugh of that when I do my keynote. Okay. Then I tell people. Had a friend of mine in the audience the other day, not long ago, a couple of months ago, who'd never seen me and never heard me say that. So he comes up afterwards. He goes, "Hey man, how come you didn't pull the trigger?" Uh, hey man, could you try to sound a little less disappointed? <laughs> hey man, it's yeah, like, why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? So if you want to know why not, it's in my first TED talk, TEDx talk called "A Matter of Laugh or Death." Um, I came out at fifty-two in that TED talk, and in, in in part to rebrand from a funny speaker to a speaker who is funny, and to begin doing the suicide prevention, mm-hmm. you know, um, speaking and training, uh, and I. Because that people ask me, how'd you pick that as a topic for your keynote? That's, well, that was my next question. Yeah, topic pick me, Bob. Uh, it's um, you know, it's in it, my grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years mm-hmm. old. I'll spare you the details. It's in that TED talk because mm-hmm. it's gruesome. And then I, I myself, as you now know, came awfully close to mm-hmm. dying by suicide, very close. And so I read Judy Carter's book, Judy Carter. Mm-hmm comic uh public speaker she wrote a book called mm-hmm. the Me- the message of you turning your life into a money-making speaking career and going into the book i thought i didn't i don't have anything to teach anybody because what was happening bob was all those people who booked me as a comic back in the day as a corporate comic mm-hmm. said frank we love you but you know for five grand which is what i was making which is ridiculous but still five grand you can't well you can't you can't just come in and be funny you got to teach our people something that's when I've been began casting about for, because I always wanted to be a speaker. I always wanted to make a living, Bob, and a difference. I just wasn't sure right. how. Right. And halfway through Judy's book, it triggered that. Wait a minute, my grandmother, my great aunt, me. You know what? And then I discovered, Bob, as I was preparing the first TEDx, that that even though one person in the U.S. dies by suicide now every eleven minutes, hmm. people don't talk about it. Yeah. So, which means, which means, Bob, that here's the, here's the opening in the market. People don't speak on it. Yeah. So, uh, my clients tell me over, over and over and over. I would say ninety plus percent of my clients, when we talk, say we want you to come in and start the conversation on suicide. Because if I start the conversation, Bob, then everybody's got a story, including you. Yep, that's right. So that's what I get paid to do, and that's going to be the name of my book. Um, I have a book with two ladies, a, a psychologist and a therapist that's coming out in March, but my personal book is going to be called um, Starting the Conversation on Suicide, uh, Life in the Exit Row, because that's mm-hmm. where I live, on the airplane, in the window seat, in the exit row, because you know, if things get too bad, my superpower is, <laughs> that's what, I'm out jump. the window. Yeah, jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to jump from 10 stories, because that, you know, you could survive that, but a plane, uh, you know, you hit the hard arch, you're not going to... Uh, <laughs> You're probably unless you're over yeah unless you're over some really soft water you're not going to survive that and and at that type of velocity no water is soft i used to race boats and uh you know just you know bailing out of that boat doing 90 miles an hour it'd take the skin off you 
Yeah, uh, it's like skipping down asphalt, uh, yeah, like exactly. a rock skipping down asphalt. Yeah, so so that's how I got to where I am today. And then, I, and then after my first TED talk, I got an idea for the second. Actually, I got invited to the second and third because somebody saw my TEDx and liked it. Mm. And they both invited me to come in and speak. The third one was the, yeah, those were invites. Fourth one was Suicide, the Secret of My Success. Had to apply to that one. And the last one won't post. My fifth one will post sometime later this month. And it's, it's kind of an adult theme. We won't do it on your show. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not dirty, but it is an adult theme and you know i am yeah. and i'll warn people by the way when i put the, put it up you know adult adult themed content not dirty words none yeah. no dirty words but something you wouldn't want uh, probably a 12 year old to hear right yeah I, I had a couple of episodes on my podcast like that and at the top of the show notes i put in great big bold red letters you know you might not want the kids to listen to this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and you know what uh youtube now uh with the new um YouTube studio, they ask yeah. you on every one, is this suited for children? Yep, that's right. So that's then right. They, they, you, you have to check one of the boxes, yes or no, or they won't put it up. Uh, I could only imagine some of the questions you get, you know, concerning using comedy for this topic. As you're approached for keynote speeches, what are some of the concerns that maybe the organizers have, have expressed? Well, you know, I lost one gig because they saw my first TED Talk. And I was not aware of something called safe language. When you speak on mental health, you know, you say things before you, before you, you know, dump a horrible story on somebody, you, you often say at the beginning, look, the topics we are going to cover today, mm -hmm. uh, it may trigger strong emotions for some of the people in the room. So I just want you to know that going in. And if you need to get up and, you know, excuse yourself, it's not a comedy club. I'm not going to come after you if you stand up and walk out and need to, you know, take a breath or whatever. <laughs> and unfortunately, the first one, I, I used the phrase commit suicide, which I didn't know was not the preferred terminology. Now it is die by suicide, um, completed a suicide. The, the problem that the mental health community has with commit is you commit a sin, you commit a crime. So the word commit's got some baggage. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, but you I know, know my, yeah. And I, I understand what they're thinking. Um, but then again, in my mind, I'm thinking, is there a bigger commitment than pulling the trigger? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's that's like the old, that's like being the old, fully in. Yeah. It's like the old joke about the breakfast. You know, the chicken was committed. Chicken, uh, <laughs> uh, chicken was involved. The pig was committed. That's right. <laughs> so, so, but it cost me a gig because the mental health outfit that was going to book me saw it, heard me say that and said, no, we can't have you. And I said, well, I, got, I got three more on there. You might want to take a look. I mean, my, my verbiage has changed. <laughs> um, no, they, they actually hire me because of the humor over somebody else because it's such a difficult topic. So difficult yeah. to digest. And when they see my TEDx talks, they hear the humor that I use. It's not jokes. It's funny stories. Like the one I told you about spoiler alert and mm -hmm. why didn't you pull the trigger stories like that at a meeting planner. We're talking one day from NAMI national Alliance of mental illness, which by the way, there's a chapter in about every County in the country, national Alliance of mental illness, NAMI. They have the, everything they do is free for your listeners. I mean, not just for your listeners, but for the people listening, mm -hmm. um, whether it's peer counseling or family to family counseling or education. Anyway, meeting planner said to me, Frank, you're going to do the keynote. I said, what do you want me to cover? And she said, now she's well aware. I put a gun in my mouth. Mm -hmm. She says, oh, just give me a couple of bullet points. And I just let that hang in the air. <laughs> she's going, really? oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. She realized what she said. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's not, I mean, but that's, that's the kind of thing that happens 
and you know it's not a joke but it makes a good story mm-hmm. and what i what i do bob generally is we talk about something serious and then i slip in something like that and then we talk about something serious it's like yeah it's a psychological principle that if you do something very serious and then you give them some there's a, there's a reason they call it comic relief you give them some comic relief then they're much more um it's much easier for them to d- digest the next serious thing yeah yeah Instead of digging deeper and deeper and deeper, they, they get to take a breath. Yes. And, uh, you know, and, and it also, it makes the people in the room who haven't been alone this comfortable. It makes it the neuronormal people in the room more comfortable because we're, you know, we're, we're covering some things that they don't truly have any context for. They don't understand. My job is to, is to give the people who have a mental illness cover give them uh, permission to give voice to their feelings and, and experiences and also to educate the neuronormal people as to why people think that way. Because people, here's the phrase I get all the time. Why does so-and-so want to kill himself? Well, chances are so-and-so did not want to kill themselves. They just simply wanted to end the pain. Yeah, yeah, that's true. As we discussed in our prior conversation, many people think, you know, they're alone in their thoughts about suicide. And, And sometimes for reasons that make absolutely no sense to anyone else, but but you're able to bridge that divide and let them know they're not alone. You know, what are some of the comments that you've received after your speeches? Well, I, I just did a, the second year of a dental conference. Um, and I was, I was there last year. And sometimes, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not a comment because last year when I was there, I talked about my chronic suicidal ideation. I told the story that Here's how someone with that illness thinks. I said, my car broke down because suicide for me is a solution. Always problems, large and small, always on the menu. So my car broke down and I had three thoughts, unbidden, get it fixed, buy a new one, or I could just kill myself. Just Mm -hmm. popped into my head. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like a default. (laughs) That's that's this or just kill yourself. A, B, or C. Go ahead. I said A, B, or C. Exactly. And C is always, or you just kill yourself. So I told that story and as everybody else is filing out, a woman's walking toward me and I can see she's crying. And then when she gets close, I realize she's weeping. So when she gets up to me, I keep smiling. So nobody behind her will know that we're having a very serious conversation. I said, you have chronic suicidal ideation, don't you? And she nodded. I said, you didn't know it had a name. She nods. I said, you just thought you were some kind of freak. And she nods. I said, well, do you have a therapist? Nod. When you get home, set an appointment. Tell them what you learned today. And for goodness sakes, tell them you Googled it. Don't tell them you learned it from a comedian. <laughs> and and uh, so a week later, I get an email from her. And she says, Frank, I think I was at that dental conference simply to meet you. You have changed my life. And I can't say that about a lot of people. Amen. And it happens over and over. Didn't I tell you the story about how I, I now can't kill myself? No. I tell you this. Well, no. I, I believe if somebody is suicidal, you ask them this. You said, do you have a plan? If they have a plan, um, what is your plan? Now, if the plan is detailed, Bob, um, you should get them on the phone with the suicide prevention lifeline, or if they're younger, mm-hmm. there's a text line now. You text the word HELP to 741741, because younger people are more forthcoming in text. Um, so if they are suicidal, have a plan, but it's not particularly detailed. You know, they're not on the edge, not circling the drain. My advice is to say this, are you going to kill yourself? And if they say, if they say no, it's part of the phone ringing in the background. 
Not a problem. That's going to continue for a few rings, I'm afraid. Here, let's, yep. let's, should we pause so you can edit the... No, no we're fine. No. Okay. Yeah, because you know, they must know Frank's got a life somewhere. That's um, right. Yeah. So um, I say, are you going to kill yourself? They say, no, Bob. I ask them, okay, then tell me why not. So I want to make them, force them to give voice. Hmm to their reasoning. You know, it's my family, my kids, my animals, whatever it is, I want them to give voice. And I realized after all these people come up to me, because there's, there's each and every one, regardless of what they said, you could just feel the relief. It was palpable because they realized they were not alone. Mm-hmm. And so one day I'm standing outside of a building on the campus of Montana, uh, Montana, University of Montana buildings. It's dusk, it's starting to snow. Maybe that has something to do with it. And I'm waiting for a ride. And I'm thinking about all these people, including the woman, at the dental conference who've come up to me and thinking, you know, maybe I've steered each and every one of them just far enough off the path to suicide that they'll live a normal life. And then it hit me. Oh my goodness. I am George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. Amen. I've been shown by an angel, perhaps the one that kept me from pulling the trigger. Mm -hmm. Uh, What other people's lives would be like if I were not there to speak. My Mm. second thought was, Oh my Lord, I cannot kill myself because I would take all those people with me. Mm. Yeah, and I got the idea from a fellow whose dad was an AA, and he'd been a sponsor of hundreds of people. Somebody asked him one time, are you going to drink again? And he said, no, I'm not going to drink again. And they said, well, how do you know that? He said, because of all the people I've sponsored and all the people I will sponsor, if I drank, I would take all those people into the bottle with me. Mm. Yeah. So that, that was in the back of my mind, I'm sure, when I started thinking about the people I was helping Amen. You know, that I would be, and then, you know, then, my, there's a, then a comedian in me kicked in, Bob. And I thought, you know, <laughs> those people that I wasn't there for after they died by suicide, they would chase me through eternity. You couldn't wait a week. <laughs> yeah. I could see that happening. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's, that's, if somebody said to me, you're going to kill yourself. No. And that's my why story. That's my, you know, I, I can't because I, I, a friend of mine said, you, you can't live with that. And I said, no, I can't die with that. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it, you know, when you mentioned that, you know, are you going to kill yourself? Why not? And remember when, from our conversation, uh, you know, I said, well, I had made the decision to do it, but I was going to wait till the next day so I could say goodbye to my family. Yes. And in that six hour time frame, things changed, you know? Uh, but yeah, so I could, I can relate to that 100%. That's, yeah. Cause that was your wife. I'd ask you that now you're going to kill yourself. You'd say no. And if I'd said, well, tell me why not? Well, you know, I, I've got to think about it in my family. And then I would have said, okay, let's, let's uh, sit down and have a chat. Um, uh, and that's by the way, a very, um, a sign of someone, someone circling up towards suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 90% of people who are, well, let's, let's back up a minute. 80% of people who are thinking about suicide are ambivalent which is good news, meaning you can, you can save a life mm-hmm. and you can do it oftentimes by starting a conversation. Uh, two, 90% of people who are circling up suicide give hints in the seven days leading up to the attempt, either direct or indirect, verbal or behavioral. So if you know what you're looking for, and that's what I teach, signs and symptoms, depression, thoughts of suicide, and what to say, what not to say, what to do, what not to do. So if you know what you're looking for, then you can save a life. And people often you hear this. Well, I had no idea. I mean, the guy never said anything. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't pick up anything. Well, but if you know the signs and symptoms, maybe, you know, maybe we can save people that way. Other people, there was a guy in a 
company. I did a big safety convention in in New Orleans, a VPPPA. It's a giant safety association, thousand people there. I did a main stage, ten minutes on suicide prevention. Then a breakout. At the breakout, a guy came up to me after the after I got done speaking, crying because I, you know, I, it was very close to touch the nerve. He said, "Look, I, Frank, I was I was there." He said, "I I went in to see my boss because I was I was living with depression and serious thoughts of suicide, and his my boss's advice was you've got to get over it." So he got over it by giving away his prized possessions so that he'd know who they were going to go to after he was gone. He, he put his personal business in order. He knew there were two cars in the parking lot with guns in the glove compartment. So he had a plan. So he was going to go out at lunch, get one of those cars, and end his life. Well, it just so happened he passed another employee in the hall, and they did the, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. And the other employee noticed something was off. He didn't believe, and I tell people, if intuition tells you, I think he's going to die by suicide, you go with your intuition. Mm. So he found, he, he walked out of the parking lot, and that guy was on the way to one of those cars, take out the gun and kill himself. And so he said to him, are you, are you okay? And, and the guy, you know, guys are sure I'm fine. He goes, no, 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 you're not fine. And I want to know what the problem is. Come back to my office. Go back to his office, close the door. And the gentleman who had the plan broke down, and the gentleman who, other employee who took, you know, stepped out of his comfort zone, you know, asked him if he's had a, really got a problem, um, took him to a mental health facility and checked him in. He had a three-day involuntary stay and then some more time. And then now he's outpatient, still alive. Yeah. So, you know, any, suicide is the most preventable cause of death, Bob. And anybody can save a life because eight out of 10 people who are thinking about it are ambivalent and they want somebody to intervene. Yeah. As a police officer, I've numerous people, you know, I, uh, being on highway patrol, you know, I, I wasn't going in people's houses and doing welfare checks or anything like that, but I, you know, see someone and I'd stop them and they'd I'd walk up to the car with a standard, you know, I stopped you for this reason. Let's utilize the registration. I see tears coming down their eyes. I say, what's going on? What's up? You know, I'm just tired of it all. I said, what do you mean? And they mentioned something like, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm just going to end it. What do you mean end it? I'm going to, I'm just going to kill myself. It's, it's, it's over. And when they say those magic words, yeah, sir. <laughs> to say, come with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I tell people some time at the hospital. <laughs> so. I, t- I tell people, I go through that, that, that litany, by the way, with people. And I say, here's the deal. Um, if you do that, you know, people always ask, when do you dial 911? If you believe they're an immediate threat to themselves or other people, you have no choice but dial 911. Now, what's that, what's that going to buy the person is, chances are they'll be arrested. They'll be taken in front of a judge. The judge will decide if they, they need an IDO, involuntary detention order, and they'll get three days in a lovely mental health gated community with no shoestrings or belt. Yep. Um, so, but I said, look, here's the deal. They're going to be mad at me, and that's fine. I don't care if they're mad. They unfriend me on Facebook. As long as they're still alive, that's... You know, I've done my part. Yep, that's right. Amen. Well, let's move over into digital media in today's culture. I mean, social media has its own unique way of increasing suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Is that right? Yes, it is. And now there's no, nobody's been able to draw a connection. Um, But most people don't think it's a coincidence. In 2012, the number of smartphone or smartphone ownership in the U.S. passed the 50% mark. Mm-hmm. Meaning more than half the population owns a smartphone. Starting in 2012, teenage rates of self 
reported major depressive disorder and teenage suicide rates have gone up by 50% mm. since now. Like I said, there's no, is it, is it connection? Is it correlation? Is it, it's not a coincidence, I don't think. Hey everyone, Pastor Bob here. I've been talking with Frank King, a.k.a. the mental health comedian, who's a suicide prevention specialist. He's a public speaker, conference speaker, a podcaster, who has turned his lifelong battle with depression into keynotes worth sharing. Not just his background working with The Tonight Show and all that, but just the way he is able to start a conversation. And that's really what it's all about. Starting a conversation about suicide, suicide prevention, and things like that. He uses comedy just to let others know they're not alone in their thoughts. And if we are just having a, uh, an in-depth discussion on this very important topic, I want you to share these episodes with all over your social media because it's so important that we get the word out there during this day and this time with everything going on. And social media has a big part in, in the increase in suicides that we're seeing. And, and it is so important to let people know there are alternatives out there and they're not alone in their thoughts and their feelings and to get the counseling that they need. You need to come back and catch part two tomorrow because we're really getting down into the meat of this discussion. And again, share these episodes, go down in the links, share the links, get the information you need. And folks, if you are experiencing any of these thoughts, get the help. You're not alone. I want you to understand that you are not alone in this. Till tomorrow, this Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do.